I don't think Bronwyn wanted to kiss him. I have a reputation in this country anyway for giving away secrets. You say, yeah. What about them? Being fresh? Do you know what female orcs look like? I nearly took out a couple of people's eyes walking around with that on. It's a trick. It's a trap. The filthy orcs. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. It's become a meme that's used all over the world. We don't believe we're the bad guys. We're all worried about who Sauron is. Uruk Nampat, the blue-eyed, good-looking orc. Everybody in this show's Sauron. Babio's a looker. He's a looker. Yes, I am. This guy's crazy. He's kind of like the Vigo of the show for me. I have an action figure. Seems like you're the one being touched by darkness right now. Or maybe you die. Is that a true story? We are super excited to bring you a special edition of Across the Sundering Seas. For the first time ever, we have two episodes in one week. It could be for none other than Jed Brophy, who if you've ever watched any Lord of the Rings or Hobbit films, you've seen him whether you know it or not. Welcome to the podcast, Jed. My name's Jed Brophy, and I'm the lucky Kiwi. I not only got to be in all three of the original Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, but I also came back and then was in all three of the Hobbit movies. And now, by fate and chance, I'm also in the new Rings of Power, playing various of the Ashak Rukshul, as the Kuzda would call them, the Filthy Orcs. How did you get connected with the films originally? So I was really lucky that I did an early Peter Jackson movie called Brain Dead, which is a zombie splatter movie set uh, in the 1950s. And I was doing a play uh, by a writer called Stephen Sinclair, who was the co-writer of Brain Dead, also co-wrote the original uh, Lord of the Rings scripts. And Peter came and saw the play and offered me a part in, the, in his, his film. And then when it came to Lord of the Rings, um, they wanted to use people that they'd used before. That they, that they knew could work in creature suits. And, uh, and I also got to do the original radio play that they used to take to Hollywood to get the money. So I'd been involved right from 1997. Just right place, right time, right country. What roles have you played? I played one of the Black Riders on horseback and also on the Fell Beast. I played a Musala Fundal, an elf, um, when Arwen is leaving Middle Earth. I got to play Schnager, who wants to eat Mary and Pippin in Tanghorn Forest, and then Shaku, who beats up Aragorn when he goes over the cliff. I played a Rohan captain who finds the dying Theodred at the Fords of Isen, along with Emma. And, um, and then I have various Rohans and Gondorians, because I was also one of the 20 full-time horse trainers working on the film. Who did you play in the Hobbit movies? I played Nori with the starship, you know, the star, the star hairdo. Um, it was great coming back and doing that, because... I knew that would just be such a great time having worked on the Lord of the Rings movies. I knew that the camaraderie we would build up would be a fantastic thing. Those films were my like introduction uh, into Tolkien. Uh, and then I started reading the books and all of that. Um, so uh, one of my favorite lines is when they have the, the two hobbits and they, they throw them down and, and they say that they're starving. 
and and then you say, yeah, <laughs> I haven't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days, right? It's like one of my favorite lines uh, from from the movies. Uh, and then and then you say, uh, I believe it's you still. You say, what about them? They're fresh. Yeah, why can't we have some meat? What about them? They're fresh. I love that. Then the, the older orc uh, gets his head cut off. And then the probably most infamous line is delivered. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> and I'm sure you've talked about that line a whole bunch over the years. Um but it's funny to me because it implies that there is a restaurant in Mordor, maybe, and that orcs go to it. And, and there's a menu. And maybe order from a menu. <laughs> you know, we did those films before social media was really a thing. I remember watching the very first 20 minutes of the film cut together on an old dial-up um, computer. And it took ages for it to come on. And then it kept crashing because everybody in the world was watching that 20 minutes. And and to become a meme that's used all over the world is kind of, it's not something we ever signed up for, but it's certainly kind of cool, you know. I've always said to people, they say, what kind of projects do you do now? I'm like, the ones where I get an action figure, because then I can give those away, you know, to people. So this new TV show came along. You've probably been hearing the rumblings of it for years. Um, were you instantly like, I've got to, I've got to be back in this. They were looking for a certain type of uh, orc look, I think. And they were talking to the people at Weta Workshop who said, well, we've got some actors, friends of ours who actually were in the original movies. I think that's kind of how it came about. Um, I didn't do an audition. So that's kind of, it was a, it was one of those phone calls from my agent saying, would you be interested? And of course, because I'm a huge fan of Tolkien, I, I grew up reading the books. I'm a, a longtime um, friend of Roy Tolkien, the great-grandson, so I know a lot about the family history, but I also grew up reading the books and just love love that kind of literature, that fantasy literature. So as soon as the offer came, I was like, yeah, man, let's, let's do it. Who have you played so far? Where have we seen you in the first six episodes? So I play a character called Vrath. He's um, the blue-eyed, good-looking orc with the white helmet who tries to kill Theo to get the um, the artifact, whatever that artifact is. Not that I can say what it is, but it's a thing. And then um, there's a character who I call Fabio, the orc. He's actually a green-skinned orc who's, he's the one who's been killing all of the people in episode six in the tavern for Adar. Give yourself some credit. Fabio's a, Fabio's a looker. He's a looker for sure. I kept trying to give, um, get them to give him a name. And they just kept saying, he's like, a, he's a warlord. I'm going, yeah, okay, but, you know, Vrath had a name. What about, so I named him Fabio because there was a whole deal about him wearing a helmet and I, I vetoed it. I, it was really difficult. It was one of those negotiations with the costume department where they wanted me to have a helmet. I was like, this makeup is so good. You don't want to hide this. This hair is, you know, it's, it's banging. I, I want him to have no helmet. And, I, and finally on the day we came to shoot that scene inside the tower, costume designer came up to me she said wow his hair's amazing we can't cover that and i'm like yes i won great as i was watching it, i was trying to make note and see if you met if uh i guess fabio uh if fabio makes it to the end of the episode or not does he does he i don't know i don't know if you can say these things or not but does he make make it through uh all the all the battles fabio is a survivor oh, that's great. what i'm gonna say Survivor. he yeah great great, great. <laughs> yes um i was sad to see wrath uh, you know, lose his head, but uh, but glad glad Fabio's got got new life. It's 
I, I've only ever made it through one Middle Earth film with my head, um, and I think The Hobbit. So, so for me, I'm looking at Adar going, okay, this is the bad guy. This is the bad guy. And the whole time he's been saying, my children and this and that, and I'm just like, this guy's crazy. And then episode six begins with a a war, a battle speech that a good guy would normally deliver, mm-hmm. right? And you see him, we later find out he's, he's planting those seeds, you know, uh, in defiance of death, right? Life in defiance of death. And all of a sudden I'm going, wait, Adar might not be crazy. I think he's still the bad guy, obviously, but he might not be crazy. And he, he really has this idea that they need to blot the sun out so that the orcs can have a place of their own, so they can actually have a home. How much of that do they put into y'all um, with, you know, with scripts and everything like that? Is is there backstory that actually happens like that with y'all, or, or y'all just go kill some people? No, we we had we were lucky that we got to sit with Joseph, who plays Adar, and he had done a lot of um, work with the showrunners and with the writers to try and create this idea that we had our own life, that the thousand years that we hadn't been seen by humans or by elves or by the dwarves was us trying to reclaim our homeland. You know, we're creatures that are made by the gods as well. You know, our our origins were from the elves and we have a master and we don't believe we're the bad guys. We're just trying to get our own homeland. That was the ethos that, you know, Joseph kind of um, put to us. Uh, that Uruk sitting around the table and it was really for me it was not just fascinating but it was really kind of um, it was kind of like this nurturing thing of like yeah it's like they've always just been these funny bad guys that get killed off but to have this kind of real backstory and give it a real breath of life that this is us trying to reclaim something that's been taken away from us that gave us an incentive to try and create something that was real for the fans as well if you're just playing the bad guy, there's kind of nothing at stake. You know you're going to end up being killed. But if you're playing someone who thinks they're good, then there's a lot more at stake and you put a lot more into it, I think. Another thing in that opening um, speech, uh, Adar says um, that they're y'all fight together as brothers and sisters, implying that there are female orcs amongst us here. I haven't really seen one yet. Do you know what female orcs look like? My character hasn't seen one either. <laughs> we do know that they exist, and some of the um, some of our uh, players in the creature suits were women. So there are there are female orcs. Um, we just I just personally didn't see one up close, so I couldn't really say. But yes, uh, apparently they were there, and apparently they're around. And I don't know because I haven't seen the next two episodes. But who knows? We may yet get to see them. Maybe they maybe they work at the restaurant. Maybe. What does Nampat mean? Death. Death. Okay. Death. There's the line in this in episode six where it's like it doesn't say Nampat, but it says Nam Nampush or something like that. And the Usha Nampuk. Yeah, Nampuk, that's what it was. And so I saw that it said death. Yeah, that means kill them all. Usha Nampuk. Kill them all. I thought that that might be related. So that's cool. That's cool to hear. And then there's an uh an orc. Uh I'm wondering, it's it's Bazer. Is he a lieutenant? Yeah, that's um that's my mate Philly Grieve, and yeah, he's a lieutenant. He's kind of like um, he's the one telling us what to do. It's like we do have a hierarchy within within Orkdom. You know, my characters are general as well. He's he's got men underneath him. Um, that he, if you see us, there's a scene where we all come into the village. There's myself and another character bring a group of orcs from different places to that kind of meeting point to then take over the village, and we're all assigned 
kind of, um, you know, jobs to do, but also we have a phalanx of people behind us that we're in charge of. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about this was uh, there were three or four of us that had been in the original Lord of the Rings. And so we kind of, we wanted to really G the, the stunt performance and the action performance and the extras up. So we would do that Uruk Nampat before every scene and get them almost like doing a kind of a disparate chant. Um, kind of getting a feeling of unity, you know, a feeling that we're all in this together because it was kind of hard, hard nights, hard days. So it was nice kind of re referring back to what it was like having that come right around Lord of the Rings too on the original films. Did I see when the tower collapsed that uh, Bazir got, got crushed? And, and is, he, is he dead now? Yeah. I don't want to tell, tell a story for him, but there is a funny story that goes with that. Where, where, um, yeah, where he asked the question and then the answer was, well, maybe you die. <laughs> he spoke up one too many times, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, so after that, I asked no questions. <laughs> to me, it seems like if your character dies, they're just going to bring you back as another character. I guess that's the good thing of all the all the prosthetics. You can uh, you can revive your, yourself <laughs> in a couple different ways. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where it's not everybody's cup of tea. Like I didn't I didn't set out being an actor to do prosthetic work, but if you're good at it and you can you can work subtlety into something that's really quite hard to work with. Um, and also be able to be big in that as well and also kind of handle the long, long days because an average day for someone in prosthetics is 17 to 19 hours. You know, that's a long day. Um, you, you're getting there at two o'clock in the morning and you're getting out of there at, you know, seven or eight at night. And so it's not everybody's cup of tea. But the, the upside of that, the positive, is that you can come back as multiple characters, which is um, which can be a lot of fun. You talk about the subtlety. Um... I was thinking about this. Even even Joseph playing uh, Adar, uh, he's got some a decent amount of prosthetics, it seems. And that's the scene where where he has to kill the orc. Um, the emotion that he's able to convey through the prosthetic, and then all the close-ups of like like you in episode six and all these different close-ups, the ways that you're able to still convey such emotion through the prosthetics is pretty pretty amazing you have to practice it it's one of those things where when the makeup's going on you're sitting there in the mirror for five five hours so as each piece because it's nine different pieces stuck on and then blended and you, you kind of you you're working it to see what you can get away with it um what you can do to 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 show emotion um but really it's the same as any acting if you think it it will show on camera it's just that you have to work your muscles to actually be able to do that through the prosthetics takes a lot of practice. We cut to a scene where he's trying to break the hilt. Did you ever get to handle the sword? I did when we were doing rehearsals and also, you know, the day that I was doing the scene, chasing Theo to try and get it off him. I got to actually hold it. It's, a, it's an impressive and weighty um, uh, implement, actually. I asked a lot of questions as to what it was and I never got an answer because obviously they know that I'm going to talk to people. Um, and, and I have a reputation in this country anyway for giving away secrets. So um, people were very careful not to tell me anything about what that weapon was, where it came from. I know it's special. I know it's got um, special significance. They may know the backstory, but no one told the orcs. Talking about that scene where you're trying to get it from Theo, where sadly Vrath meets his de demise, um, I, I love a good one one shot scene. Um, what was that experience like? The choreography you come come in at the end and kind of snatch him, but 
yeah could could you tell us about how a scene like that plays out where it's you're following for for a really long time and the choreography that goes into it we were lucky enough theo and i to have a lot of um uh time to rehearse that we rehearsed it in a lot of different ways um, and you have the stunt coordinators there on the day. Andy Stelling was kind of running the rehearsals uh, in the rehearsal room. And we tried in various ways about how to do it, trying to kind of second guess where the camera might be, um, where they're going to shoot it over shoulder, where they're going to shoot it from the ground. And a lot of that is, is determined um, by how much time you have on the day. Um, we were lucky that we had a bit of time to do that on the night, um, the night shoot. Um, and we sort of tried to run it as one with two cameras, one from behind and one in front, so that you get me grabbing him and chucking him on the ground and then sort of shooting over my shoulder down to his face. And then the reverse is having the camera down on the ground looking up from his perspective up to me. So we kind of shot it, uh, you know, at least two times. I think we probably did three or four takes for that. But it is great if you can do it as a one shot, as you say, because you get the emotion you get the beats, you get the franticness of him trying to get away, all included in that. If you chop it up too much, you kind of lose that impetus. You lose the, um, especially for the person being chased, you lose that uh, impetus to try and get away and the franticness of trying to you know, save your own life. Um, I had to wear a sword rig for the bit where it comes out my chest. And you have to be careful too. I nearly took out a couple of people's eyes walking around with that on. Um, you know, they have the thing, so it just shows the bit coming out, it kind of punches out from there. And they, they wear that as a rig for, for, for the stab. Uh, and then when it came for um, Ish, actually stabbing me through the back, he actually came underneath the arm, um, you know, just to make it look like he'd done it. But yeah, I, I mean, as an actor, you love all that stuff. If you can get to do your own stunts, if you can get to do your own fights, that really tells the story because you don't have to have someone jump in for you. Throughout this this whole storyline in the Southlands, I, I've been getting Helm's Deep vibes from the Two Towers. And, you know, I thought they were going to fight in the keep there, in the tower. And that was going to be very, very Helm's Deep-like. But then it's a trick. It's a trap. And Arondir takes the tower out, does some really cool elf things that only an elf can do. And everybody else is just in a field and they go back to the village to set up there to fight. And I liked the quiet moments in, in this episode. And one of those quiet moments is when they're waiting for the orcs to arrive. And then Arondir is looking out and he just sees one light and the music's timed up perfectly, right? A second orc light, a third. And when they get over the bridge, they hear a little noise and they walk over to uh to the cart and nobody's there right and uh and then uh Bronwyn attacks and the first person to die in this fight is a woman brutally killed <laughs> and then the orc dies as well uh were you friends with that orc as well yeah i think that was a guy called edward actually um it was either edward or rob uh, i sort of can't really remember um, on the day who it was that died, but I know that we would be in the chair and we'd go, so who, who dies today? <laughs> you know, um, is it you or is it you? Or who's it going to be? But yeah, um, yeah, there was a couple of um, young guys who I know who are, who are stunt performers who got to be some of those characters as well, which was great for them. You know, they got a line and got to die. If you're a stunt person, you're just getting kind of thrashed about all the time. It is a kind of a buzz when you get to, you get to actually have a featured character. Um, 
I, I love that scene too when you see a light scott. It is very um, similar to the Urukai arriving to Helm's Deep where you see them from a distance and you see one or two lights and then it kind of increases to you. You see the volume of it. And, and again, I was talking about, you know, rallying the troops and getting them having this chant, the Numpa chant. That was very similar to getting the Urukai racked up on the day as well. There's a lot of similarities. It's almost like 20 years has come and gone on the flash. A Rondier gets uh, pulled off the roof um, and drops to the ground, which would have taken me out of the fight, by the way. I'd have been done at that point. Um, but he gets up and he's like dusting himself out, takes a step back and a really big orc. He bumps into a really big orc and then gets the snot kicked out of him. Uh, did Were you around for that scene at all? Did you get to see anything about it or did you just watch it in the show? No, I just watched it in the show. Um, Mike... I think what his name is now. It's a very large stunt performer called Mike. Somebody, Mike, that'll come to me. Yeah, he 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 did stuff on back on the day on the Hobbit as well, and uh, I've seen him around a lot. And he's a he's a big boy, and he would have ragdolled. They would have loved doing that. I, the, the great thing about Ishmael is he loves doing the fight stuff. He's really good at it. He's kind of like the Vigo of the show for me. He puts in 120% effort and he likes to get smashed around. And, 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 and again, he, you know, he's really good at doing um, Capoeira and um, helping design his own fights. And I think he would have really, Mike Honick, Mike Honick is the name of the, the, uh, the uh, stunt performer. They would have enjoyed doing that. Mike loves doing fights as well. So it would have been, it would have been epic, you know, shooting that. That's the kind of, that's the kind of scene you want to do that goes on and on and on. And it ends with, uh, the knife in his eye and the blood and the it's gory and the blood's landed on Arandir's mouth and I don't do eye stuff well I had LASIK done and that was really hard for me to get done that shot of the knife point just just dangling there I was like Arandir's about to lose an eye this yeah. is and I was like you know about to lose my lunch so <laughs> yeah Bronwyn I don't think Bronwyn wanted to kiss him uh, after all that orc blood dripping on his mouth I don't think I don't think they wanted that moment afterwards. I think orc blood is pretty acidic, I think. I don't think it's the kind of thing you really want to get. The townspeople, right after that, they have, they've won the battle. And they're out, they're cheering, they're celebrating. And then a Rondier, very keen, notices that the blood is red on a lot of these people. And they realize, to their horror, that they mainly killed all of their old friends, all their old villagers, Another orc you played was when Aragorn went off the cliff and then you're, you're making fun of, you know, Legolas and Gimli and everybody there. Um, you know, that kind of reminded me of a scene from episode six um, where the villagers have thought that they've won this battle and, and then there's an orc laughing at them and taunting them. Did, did you see the similarity between those two scenes? I did. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's I think that's kind of how it, how they're written that they are they do enjoy um, the pain and suffering that they see on others because that's been their entire life. I mean, I, I know you probably know the law where Tolkien indicated that the the orcs were elves that were stolen by Morgoth and then tortured and twisted and 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 in this particular um, representation, they're obviously been bred. You know, we we are the orcs that have been bred. And it's been a fairly arduous and torturous life so far. So 
we do get kind of, there's a fascination for us of other people's suffering, especially those that are seen as our enemy, for sure. Then the arrows start flying. Uh, Bromwyn's hit looks pretty, looks pretty fatal uh, to me. And then they fall back into the keep as the orcs come out from the woods. Um, what are those scenes like uh, shooting those in, at night with everybody dressed up like that? What, what is it like? We shot out on a farm, actually. There's a farm which is a set not far from Henderson, which is the west coast of Auckland. It was nighttime. There was a quite a heavy dew, so almost like a frost, so it was quite cold. Um, I remember being in one of the tents with a big heater there, just sort of going, let's not get too comfortable because we've got to get out in there. And, and then, you know, getting the flaming torches lit, there's a whole thing around safety, getting those torches lit. It's, it's like, it's the closest thing to being in a proper battlefield you can ever get because... The excitement is kind of built by all of the people around getting you ready for that moment to run onto set. And there was a lot of people that day. It's the most people I'd seen on a, on a, on a set for a long time. Huge amount of crew, a lot of camera gear, a lot of lights, takes a lot of setup. There's a lot of sitting around. And then, you know, when it actually comes to it, yeah, it's pretty frantic and incredibly exciting. You don't really have to get the adrenaline going. It's already going for you. Um, there's something really cool about running with a mass of people shouting and knowing that you're going to go and do damage um, we actually we weren't supposed to run into the tavern yet but we ran into the tavern and there was all these kind of extras kind of standing there and completely freaked out they hadn't seen us in makeup and there's this bunch of incredibly ugly smelly men running at them with weapons drawn and you know if they weren't in the moment then they certainly were afterwards as y'all are coming out of the woods and they're locked themselves in the, in the tavern. They're, they're trapped. I mean, they, they think they're going to just help themselves. And I don't know what they were thinking because they have trapped themselves in a small room. Um, and then it cuts, the scene cuts to the Numenorians riding in um, on, I don't know how they got that many horses on those boats, but on all of their horses, Every person has a horse, and I, I think they said there was 100 people on each boat, and there was three bro boats in the end. So it's 300 people, 300 horses. I don't know how they fit it all, but they did, and they're riding in, and then we cut back. Y'all break through the door and uh, kind of take everybody hostage, and then Adar walks in. Were you in the tavern? Yeah, I, I walk in, and I was standing there. I'm standing there right by the door, and... and there's a lot of stuff that we shot that, of course, doesn't make the cut. But whenever we, whenever Adar was about to come into the room, we kind of made this <laughs> noise, which I come in and I do, and then all the others, because they're making noise in there, they're suddenly quiet. That's like the boss is coming. You need to all just, you know, tone it down now. So I'm standing right there, and I've, I've got my sword on the throat of a, of, a, of a townsperson right there. I wish that they'd played more of that stuff. I, you know, we always want to everything that we do we want to end up on screen but when it comes to editing a, an episode they have to put the good stuff in there but yeah i was in there and it was like he is a presence joseph he's a presence man when he's got that that armor on and he's in the moment he's really incredibly um watchable like it's like you don't want to be doing anything but watching what he's doing it's um he he knows how to make an entrance that character that's for sure he came in and he told, he said, what I seek, give it to me in Quinya. And Arandir says, let them go and I'll consider it. And then he just basically says no without saying no, kills a person, kills another person. 
And, you know, this whole time, everybody's been thinking Theo's a bad guy. Everybody, you know, everybody in this show is Sauron, by the way, right? And Theo's one of the Saurons in this show right now. And Theo wants the sword. I mean, that's it's been pretty clear that he wants the sword. But he loves his mom and doesn't want to see her die when Adar says she's next. Um, and Theo gives up the sword. Uh, what was the tension like in the room during those scenes? It was amazing, actually. Um, Ishmael and, and Joseph had this incredible intensity between them. Um, it was like you could hear a pin drop. It's, usually you have to get people to be quiet. You know, everybody wants to be making noises. The orcs want to make noises because they want to be seen. Sometimes you don't have to do a lot. It, it comes from your lead characters. Um, all of the main players in that scene were incredibly focused on the day. You know, it was, uh, it's good direction as well, but it's also them really knowing what their job is. Um, and, and, and the Orcs, those of us, you know, those of us main players in there, we were really conscious of the fact that we were feeding into that too, you know, like doing that slow motion kill, slow sword thing, that creates a kind of a tension in the room as well. So everybody was focused on making that a really, really tense scene. And, and Charlotte, the director, had done a really good job of, of, of placing it so that there was that tension. And a lot at stake. You know, this this shard is obviously very important. And who knows what it will give the enemy in terms of power if it's released to them. But that love for a mother, especially, you know, that, that relationship is really strong. That overcomes everything. It doesn't really matter. I, I'll give up my own life to save my mum. It was it was a it was a great scene to be in. And and exhausting. You know, by the end of the day you're tired because you kind of been holding your muscles tight and everything's you know, kind of tense. It's uh it's, it's, a, it's a gift to be in a scene like that, it really is. Going back and thinking about that scene, I think that Arondir was willing to let Bronwyn die there. It seemed like in the moment he understood the importance of what was being hidden and was willing to die himself and let Bronwyn die. She was, you know, she was indicating herself. And they had looks between them where she was saying, don't give up the shard, you know, whatever it takes, we're not going to let the enemy win, I think. You know, I think there's a, uh, a fatalism in scenes like that where you go for the good of the rest of the people left living, uh, both, um, you know, elven kind, but also humankind. We, we are willing to sacrifice ourselves. I think Bronwyn, especially probably at this point, thinks I'm going to die anyway. This is a mortal wound. I'm probably going to die of loss of blood. So don't, don't be trying to save me because it's a lost cause. Um, and, and their love is new. You know, it's not... That would be very difficult for me anyway. That would be a very difficult thing to do. But I think this is one of the great things about Tolkien's writing is that they're willing to kill off their heroes. Um, the whole Lord of the Rings is Frodo sacrificing himself for the good of everybody. And he doesn't really have to do that. He's got a good life ahead of him, but he decides to do it. You know, Aragorn is willing to lay down his life so that Frodo can get to the mountain. Every single one of those heroes is willing to lay down their life for the good of other people. And that's that's a through line in all of Tolkien's writing. And I'm really glad that they had a scene like that in that. Her acting choice, the subtle, when he, she, he says she's next and she she kind of leans her neck out saying, if, it, if this is what it has to be, let it be. It's a, it was a really good, really tense and really good moment. And then the sword is recovered. And as soon as Adar has it, the ground starts rumbling. We all know that the Numenorians are arriving, which again gave me Helm's Deep vibes with 
Gandalf showing up with the the men from was it Rohan? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reminded me of that. The exact moment that it had to happen. It would have been nice if they would have come a little earlier um, and maybe not gotten the sword, but but they showed up just before everybody was about to be killed, and we saw the Numenorians fight, and boy, can they fight. The first thing they did, they knew they were going to be lots of orcs, so they took out a chain, and they mowed some orcs down in that moment, and I don't know that you can come back from being hit with a chain like that. Um, I think most of them were, were, were gone in that moment. Um, were you? Where were you in this in this part? I'd gone back in to kill. Adar sends me back in. There's a there's a scene that we were going to shoot. I don't think we ever got to shoot it. Where he stands me his sword and he says, "Kill them all," and I go back in and say, "Ushanampuk, kill them all," as I've killed that one person. And then everyone's supposed to be slaughtered. But because I've heard the Numenorians arriving, I then take off. You're one of those that after the battle they say some of them have left, we're going to go after them. You're, you're in that group. I am. Yeah. We go with Adar. We actually get him onto his horse so he can take off. And then we, myself and another character played by Luke Hawker, we take off. We kind of like his bodyguards and we kind of take off after him. A very subtle thing that happens. Um, and I didn't see it until the second watch through of this episode. As soon as he comes, Adar comes out, he tells Waldrig, I have, I have a task for you. And then the fight starts. Uh, I didn't notice that part until my second watch through. Um, and Adar leaves on the horse in Galadriel chases. Um, and Halbran, knowing the land, heads them off. That's all I can assume, that Halbran knew where the, you know, the, the woods they were in, the trails that it would lead. So Halbran went around the other way and laid that horse out. And the show, the showrunners definitely wanted everyone to know that horse was okay. One of the things that sort of happened in the in the modern film period, and we had this on Lord of the Rings, we had animal health authorities on set every day to make sure that all of the falling that we did with the horses was done in a very humane way. And um, the, the people who trained the horses, they'd worked on The Hobbit as well, so they were very well versed in making sure that the horses were looked after. But yeah, I mean, I was I didn't know that part of the story. I was. Yeah, that was a shock to me as well. I was like, wow, they really did that. That's that's full on. I still don't know who he is. I want to know who this character how great is. I wanna I wanna know more about him. When Galadriel was interrogating Adar, we get this like whole lore backstory. Going back to what we talked about before with the uh depth that's being given to the orcs and the Uruks and um all of that, I think that scene builds a lot of it too. Um that it, you almost see Galadriel as the villain in this scene and she's being ruthless and just no, uh, no grace or at all or anything like that. And then, and, and Adar is like, maybe your hunt should have ended in the mirror. Like you're the, you, it seems like you're the one being touched by darkness right now. Uh, and I think it, yeah, it builds the, the depth that we're given to the orcs or what, what is being b built for the orcs that, that they, they need a place to live. Um, right now, these people are the, just the people that are getting in the way of them having the space to live and and be comfortable. I the depth I think the depth of the, is important because you have you have villains and there's like a hierarchy of villains and and you have so much empathy for Adar and and all of these orcs um, that you even though you know they're they're the bad guys, 
you still feel you feel for them in a way it's really cool how they're building that it creates a lot more pathos and it creates a lot more tension if you don't care about the bad guys there's nothing at stake you know they're just dispensable and i we talked about this and joseph you know who plays adar he was really i love the fact that he was so concerned about that through line coming through he wanted it to be we have a saying in this country tanga of the land people who are from the land we are the orcs were born in middle earth Fenor's family came from Valinor. They went there. They had this amazing life. They had all this, these gifts given to them by the gods. And then they come back and then they tell us to go away. It's like, oh, hang on a minute. You're telling us to get up. We never left here. We, we didn't go. We were scared of a role made of, of the herald. We decided that we didn't, we didn't want to cross the river. We didn't, we wouldn't, didn't want to go with, with the West, the Quenya. We went our own way and we were stolen or we were tortured and, and we've become from that race. But we are from this place that you're now telling us that we don't have a place in. And so, of course, we're going to fight for it. There's nothing more entrenched in terms of something to fight for than fighting for the freedom to live in the land that you were born in. You know, that's a, that's a commonality in terms of wars around the world. And that's what we were going for. And I'm really glad that, that episode six has kind of finally shown what it is that we're fighting for, you know, that we're fighting for the freedom to just be. I think it's really powerful, and I'm glad that they've gone down that road. Adar tells Galadriel that he got tired of his children dying at the hands of Sauron, and so that he he split them open, split them in two. However, he said it that he killed Sauron. We we all know that can't be completely true. Sauron comes back, or it was a ruse, or something happened, um, and that while right now the plan is for you know the orcs to just have a home they they it all gets corrupted fairly soon and it be, uh, you know sauron tempts everybody into darkness and it becomes more than just uh, just a home it becomes wanting to take everybody's home that's a that's an awesome line too because uh talking about the narrative and the empathy that you are given to the orcs and the uruks uh you that builds the the uh, ruthlessness of Sauron, who may or may not be dead right now, uh, but you you have empathy for this group, and then you see that Sauron's just ruthless and killing, and all these all these orcs that are just wanting a place to live. He's he's just using them, and so you've got empathy over here, and and you, you're like, oh that that's gonna that's a bad dude. That dude's a bad dude for sure. And then we get this scene with. Theo and Arondir and Arondir brings Theo the hilt and tells him, you know, basically I trust you. Um, uh, Theo admits that he craves the power that came along with it. And Arondir leaves him with the sword, which I thought was a risky move to begin with. I was like, Oh no, this is going to end with something bad happening here. It, it it did end with something bad happening, uh, just not what I thought it would be. He opens it up, and it's just a hatchet. And we cut to Waldrig standing in the at the tower where the tower fell, and he inserts the key, the sword, into the stone, and we now see why y'all were digging trenches the whole time. Yeah. I mean, that... The great thing is that they didn't, they kept that from us as well. I didn't know that the trenches were going to do that. I thought the trenches were a way of keeping us covered from the sun 
to be able to get to a certain place. But it was, you know, they were they were very smart in keeping that from the the people playing the characters because, you know, we could have they could have somehow got out there into the environment. But I'm glad that 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 they kept it from us because it was. I like being surprised by things that I'm in. It doesn't happen very often. You know, if you're there every day, you get to see it, it kind of spoils the end product for you in some ways. But this was kind of a real moment of like, ah, smart. That was very smart. Watching that, that that's that was you finding out yeah. all that? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I was like, ah, yeah, of course, that's going to create the volcano. That's brilliant. We're all worried about who Sauron is. And that was, it was just a well-played uh twist that oh these tunnels are actually they're for something probably bigger than you think that they're for i wonder how far away you got before the explosion got to y'all i definitely know that i survived because i know that i've got some stuff coming up in another episode so i don't i think we got quite a way down the track i think we were smart enough to know i think our characters anyway those that were entrusted by adar to be close to him i think we know what's coming so we got ourselves in a position to be well away from that that scene in episode five uh where adar is standing there and he makes the orc show his arm in the sun and he's just standing there in the sun and he's talking about oh it's gonna be gone you know he's kind of reminiscing about it um and i'm just going like okay yeah he wants to blot out the sun i get it but like the severity of that didn't hit me until the until the mountain erupted. If you have a look at, you know, what's happened in, with climate change, but also just what's happened with volcanoes erupting around the world and including the tragedy that happened here a couple of years ago, that kind of volcanic activity, we see how it disrupts the world and we see the propensity for it to be able to block out the sun and, and cause that kind of mayhem. Um, I, I, I sort of, when they keep talking about, you know, when the sun disappears, I keep thinking, I'm not sure how they're going to do that. So it was great. I mean, I, I like the fact that they kept stuff from us so that we didn't have to know it kind of it kind of helped with keeping the secret i guess i guess there were people who knew but i'm glad that i wasn't one of them um yeah it's uh that whole idea that the orcs are sensitive to the sun i know that tolkien wrote that it kind of shows the power that adar has in terms of being one of the elves that's then twisted to become an orc rather than bred as an orc that he still has the remnants of that elvishness in him that we all want. Yeah, one of the things we talked about actually at the beginning of creating these orcs is making them more upright than the ones that we see in the third age. That they're one generation, they're the first generation of orcs made or related to those. They're not kind of, they haven't been beaten down with battle. They haven't been so inbred that they've become misshapen and you know their bones are twisted that they are more upright and more elven-like and have that kind of sensibility. So I hope that that comes through. In the psychological trauma of being just used as tools to get what you want, that you end up mentally seeing yourself as as just a just a a body that can be used and maybe killed. That maybe y'all y'all don't feel that way just yet, which it, it's definitely coming through it so far. Yeah, we we definitely were given a sense of purpose in terms that we we have you know we have rights we have um, morals we have our own kind of family structure, and we care about each other. Um, as much as there is infighting amongst us, we still care about each other, um, which is something that's kind of gone by the time we get to the third age. They are so used, as you say, and manipulated. They're just machines of war. There's going to be five seasons. How many orcs do you think you'll play? Or how many characters in the show? If you could just think five years down the road, if somebody said 
45. Would you believe it? Man, I'd love to. You know, they've asked me if I'm keen, and I've said, yeah, I'm keen as mustard. I just, I, I like the writing. I like the franchise. I like the fans. Um, it's a franchise that's been very good to me, so I want to hang in there as long as I can. Ultimately, it's not up to me. You know, ultimately, it's up to whether or not they want me back. And fingers crossed, man. I really hope that they do because uh, I've enjoyed it so far. But if not, I have an action figure. <laughs> do you ever get to be um, an advisor to some of the, like you talk about Joseph bringing in these uh, these storylines? Like talk, I mean, talking to you and and some of the interviews that I've I've seen of you. If if they're not asking you questions about lore and all these things they should but do you do you ever get to advise any of those things i certainly was part of the push to have more black speech in there i know that they were shying away from the forbidden language but there was a day on set i was talking to one of the showrunners and i said you've got elves speaking elvish and you've got dwarves speaking kuzdor and in a time of battle when we're talking to each other we would not speak common language to each other because we wouldn't want the enemy to know what we were saying and um and, you know, that that really helped, that it was me saying, I know that the fans love it, and I know that it's, you know, it's it's a, it's a an interesting language to hear on top of everything else. It's kind of just another layer. Joseph had done a lot of work trying to get Black Speech in there anyway, but it kind of helped me being there and, and, and being one of the original gangsters, if you like. Um, certainly when it came to, we had movement coaches, and, you know, I was able to help them and sort of talk about where the idea of the structure of, of, of Orcs came from back in the beginning. So I, I try not to impede and I try not to push my own barrow, but yes, certainly if I think that there's a need to talk about stuff that I know that I do, I don't hold back. What is your hope for the show? What do you hope it, it drives? I hope that it inspires people to go and read his other works, you know, The Lost Tales, uh, The Silmarillion, the, the kind of, it's such a beautiful world that he's created. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing imaginary world. And there's a lot of writers who I read, um, Remedy Feast, um, being one of them, um, David Gemmell and others who have said that they're inspired by him um, in terms of his writing style and also the worlds that he's created, you know, the map drawing and the, the depth of characters that he gets in there. I'm a great reader. I love books. And if this inspires other people to go back to the written word, then I think that that's a great thing. But also, I just think it's nice to have more of his work out there. It's such a you know beautiful landscape that he's drawn and and it's been very good to my country as well. It's been, you know, film tourism is the second biggest earner in New Zealand. If it brings people to the country to see the beauty of New Zealand and, and, and helps us have respect for that beauty, then that's a good thing as well. Um, but also, there is something about doing fantasy where there's a camaraderie that comes out of that when you're playing these characters that, that kind of crosses the threshold of just working. I'm still friends with people I work with on Lord of the Rings and great friends with I work with on The Hobbit and it's the same with this you know there's a great sense of camaraderie that we're all doing something that's bigger than us I think that comes from the literature I think that comes from him writing about self-sacrifice not about being about self but being about for other people and I think that that comes across have you talked to Peter Jackson lately I haven't actually not not for a while um I hope he's watching it I think he'd I think especially with episode six, I think he'd be thinking it was rocking. Um, and when I do get to see him, I'm going to see Richard Taylor um, this week sometime. I'll, I'll, I got to talk to Richard about um, the prosthetics because, you know, they designed our characters. So I got to go and work with some of those original people. And I know he's gunning for it to be good. I, th I think there's a general consensus that they want it to be good because you don't want to be part of something that 
um, having having set up such a legacy, I think it would be disappointing for them to think that it wasn't great. I, I hope that he's watching it, and I'll certainly ask him. <laughs> I did hear a story um, where it's it's Shark who I believe says release the wargs, and I heard a story that your maybe your teeth kind of fell fell out during that. Is that is that a true is that a true story? It's a true story. So the very first day I worked with Sir Christopher Lee, who's a huge icon and idol of mine, you know, like I just loved his work so much. I was a bit nervous. I got taken on set by Rick Porras, one of the showrunners from Lord of the Rings, and the teeth weren't fitting. They were kind of slightly too big. They hadn't been cemented in. And I said, oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. And he says to me, have you blotted the wags? And I'm supposed to say, yes, my Lord, they have tasted human flesh. They're ready for a deployment or whatever. And I said, and they came out of my mouth and they flew through the air and they hit him in the forehead. <laughs> and he just turned to Peter Jackson and he said, is it my turn to talk? He thought I must be finished. Um, and I, I apologize. I said, I'm so sorry. He said, no, no, that, that's the kind of thing that happens. But yeah, like, it's, it's actually captured on camera. There's a blooper somewhere of them in slow motion flying through the air and hitting him in the forehead. <laughs> Don't spit on your heroes. I could hear you talk for hours. I mean, genuinely, thank you. Thank you so much. The fact that you're sitting here for an hour talking talking to us, uh, the lowliest of, of podcasters about Tolkien is, it's it's just gen genuinely uh, amazing that you would you would take the time to do this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, bringing to screen the books and uh, playing some of my favorite bad guys, some of my favorite orcs, delivering some of my favorite lines from the movies as well. Thank you. Look, I, I always say that I'm the lucky kid. I feel incredibly fortunate to have kind of had this experience. I, I grew up on a farm half an hour away from the mountain used for Mount Doom. And Mount Ruapehu erupted in 1969. And I said to my mother, is that Mount Doom erupting? Well, who would have thought all of these years later that's kind of like, you know, like a prophecy in terms of that will be my future. Farmer's son to, to playing all these characters. I just, I'm the lucky guy. And so, you know, it's a privilege for me to sit down and talk to you guys as well. And thanks for asking such great questions.